Spirit, but also this day we remember it's the sadness of the, 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 the splits in your church, and we remember Jesus' prayer that we would be one as you are one. Make us one, Lord, across our divisions of denomination, across our division, divisions of country and nationality and race that divide your people. Make us one in Jesus, your body, your people. And open our ears to hear your scripture now, spoken through Beck, as we are here to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Forrest. Good morning, Whitworth. It's good to see everyone. There's some places over here for those of you who are sitting in the back. I hope everyone had a great fall break. Welcome back. So if you haven't figured it out yet, three weeks to Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving break, two weeks, finals week, you're out of here. Now, I don't know if that's freeing or stressing to you right now, but that is the schedule. Hey, it's good to see everyone. As Forrest mentioned, uh, today is the 500th anniversary. Today, actually, is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation um, on October 31st, 1517. Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the church door there in Wittenberg. I kid you not, I told Forrest um, this as I was walking in. I was working on my sermon this weekend, and I pressed save on my first final draft to check how many words there were. I am not lying. There were 1,517 words. I thought, this is a divinely inspired sermon this morning. <laughs> But I went on to change it, so anyway, it's not. <laughs> um, I had a chance in 2013 to go on a Reformation tour to Germany with Dr. Jim Edwards. I thought I'd show you just three pictures from that trip. It's a little bit dark here. This is in Dresden. This is maybe my favorite statue that I saw of Martin Luther. How many of you have seen the statue in Dresden? Anybody? A few of you. The next slide, of course, is the famous church door there. It was known at the time as Castle Church in Wittenberg, but now is known as All Saints Church. But you can see there, that is the actual door, but uh, obviously not the, the doors that he nailed the theses to. I, I think those are the actual 95 theses written on the doors there, if I remember correctly. So that's the actual door there. And then the third picture is a comfortable working desk. This is where Martin Luther translated the Old, uh, excuse me, the New Testament in 1522 uh, there at uh, Wartburg Castle. He was actually being held captive there. Um, as Forrest mentioned, the, the translation of the entire Bible happened in, I think, 1534. That, in conjunction with the printing press, which was a new uh, invention at the time, really did open up the Word of God to the masses for the first time. So we certainly have... Martin Luther to think about, uh, think for that. Well, today is an important day in the life of the church. Um, it's the time when we acknowledge the work of the reformers of the 16th century, Martin Luther and many others, as they recentered the church in ways that made it more accessible, that called uh, into question abuses of power, um, and were more attentive to the spiritual formation of, of parishioners, all of those things. I woke up this morning with just three quick thoughts. These are all free. This is not part of my sermon on the Reformation, but I think these are important ones. First of all, I do think it's right that we celebrate the Reformation today. Um, it birthed nothing short of a God-inspired theological revolution that, among other things, spawned the church tradition that inspired the founding of this university. Uh, for all of its more than 127 years, Whitworth University has claimed for itself the Reformed Presbyterian tradition, 
we see ourselves and the theological underpinnings of the university as fitting squarely into the Reformed tradition that Martin Luther began. But it's not just that. Uh, we are certainly a Reformed uh, uh, institution, but we are also an evangelical institution. We claim the person and work of Jesus Christ as being central to the work of this institution. But we're non-sectarian in the sense that we have open enrollment, and our faculty and staff come from a great tradition of, uh, of the- theological traditions, church traditions. I like to say that we have a, a broad ecumenism here, a broad orthodoxy, a generous orthodoxy that places um, our uh, trust on the person and work of Jesus Christ and the centrality of Holy Scripture. Um, I think those are the things that Martin Luther elevated perhaps more than anything else. But that emphasis on ecumenism, that, that broad orthodoxy, makes me want to mention today that to, um, today we invite all people um, into the church. We want the unity that Forrest talked about. And I think specifically today about our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters, many of whom are on this campus, in our faculty, among our students. Uh, we count them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I don't know what Reformation Day uh, makes them feel like, but I, I'm, I have a heart for them today, our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters. And I would just ask that you think about them as well. Uh, today as we celebrate the Reformation. Secondly, there are many Christians today that are very discouraged with the church. We live in a time of anti-institutionalism. Christians today are frustrated and upset with the church as an institution. They're impatient to see many reforms. We have to acknowledge the sinfulness and the ways the church has in its history and continues to miss the mark in so many ways. Um, There's a saying within the Reformed tradition that the church is reformed and always reforming. And we should see ourselves as being a part of that reformation, that reforming of the church. Third, quickly, despite some frustrations that you may have, that we may have with the church in meeting contemporary needs to address what many may see as moral, challenging moral and ethical problems, we know one important truth this morning. And that is that Jesus Christ loves the church. Jesus Christ loves the church, and Christ is calling the church to himself. So if we're to celebrate anything today, let's celebrate that fact, that Christ formed, reformed, and reforms the church to bring all people to himself. Amen? Okay. Well, today, that was free, as I said. Today we continue our sermon series in the Gospel of John and we examine the ways in which uh, Jesus identified himself through the I Am statements. And today's scripture is from John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. We're just picking up from last Tuesday in Mindy's sermon. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Hey, Connie, where's Connie? Can somebody get me a glass of water, please? Thank you. The hired hand uh, runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, 
I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there, there will be one flock, one shepherd. Anybody ever get dry mouth when you're speaking? We don't have any water in the house. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push through here. Um, Come here, Carter. Carter. Thank you, my friend. I'm going to keep this. Is that right? All right, I'm going to bring this back. All right. So, the imagery that Christ uses here, Jesus as shepherd, is not new to us. As, as I said, Mindy preached on this last week. A little earlier in the same chapter, Jesus talks about how his followers, his sheep, know his voice and follow him. And just like real sheep, they depend on their shepherd to guide them to safety. Those who follow Jesus learn to follow his voice as he leads them to himself. And as I said, Mindy did a great job with this text last Tuesday. In drawing this illustration, Jesus contrasts his voice with someone, the voice of someone or someones who might not have our own best interest in mind. The voice of strangers, thieves, and bandits from the scripture last week or hired hands this week. People who might want something other than the best for us or who do not love us like Jesus loves us. Just like the sheep are raised since birth to follow the voice of their shepherd, Jesus' followers learn to hear only his voice, lest they be tricked or duped into something that wouldn't be good for them. Because Jesus is our shepherd, he knows what's best for us. And if we don't listen to his voice and his voice alone, we might miss what's best. Or worse yet, we might even listen to voices who would lead us astray. So in verse 11 which is the first verse this week, when Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd, he is once again identifying himself as the one, the one true shepherd for his people. Why does he do this? I have three quick reasons, I think. First, what Jesus provides to us as our shepherd is good. The good shepherd provides good things. In the imagery of the flock, that good thing is salvation. Salvation from the threats and dangers which constantly surround the flock. Jesus is attentive to the things that threaten us, and he surrounds us with his protection. He knows them even if we don't, for example. The shepherd is always looking out around the corner, even for those things that aren't on our radar screen. How many of us have prayed for something that we really, really wanted? I have. I've prayed for things in my life that I wanted, I thought more than anything else, only to come to find out that those things weren't in the plan. But how many of us have gone through that disappointment to realize that had the things occurred that we had prayed for, we would not have been exposed, uh, we would not have had the joy of, being, uh, of seeing the blessings in our lives the ways that we might not have if those uh, prayers had been answered. Jesus can see around the corner. He's attentive to the things that threaten us. And beyond salvation, there's a blessing for those, for the flock that come in and go out and find pasture, as the, as the scripture says. This is not 
only the image of security, but also one of nurture, caregiving, and freedom as well. Here's an important point. That security of coming in and going out and finding pasture, that security and nurture and freedom is provided by our proximity to the shepherd, not by the walls of the enclosure he leads us to. Let me say that again. That safety, that freedom, that nurturing is provided because of our closeness, our proximity to the shepherd, not necessarily because of the walls that that enclosure might provide. Theologian Frederick Bruce said this, when the people of Christ have forgotten this and tried to secure unity or safety by building walls around themselves, the results have not been encouraging. He goes on to say that the walls have either been so comprehensive as to enclose a number of wolves along with the sheep, which which of course has disastrous consequences for the sheep, or they have been so restrictive, that is the walls, as to exclude more sheep than they enclose. What Jesus provides to us as the good shepherd is good. Second, Jesus is the good shepherd because of how these blessings are won. They are won because the shepherd risks everything, even death, to provide this sanctuary for his flock. For new life to be made available, for the freedom we experience in salvation, the good shepherd must suffer. Shepherding is not a vocation for the faint of heart. It's not one that we're, most of us are familiar with. Shepherding was a hard, demanding, and costly life for the shepherd. In 1 Samuel, for example, we read of David protecting his flock from lions and bears, chasing them at the risk of losing his own life. The true shepherd, the good shepherd, is the one who willingly endangers himself if called upon. Of course, as he paints this image, Jesus is predicting his own death. Jesus is predicting his own death as he describes the work of the good shepherd. His flock, you and I, are in danger. We are cut off. Sin is crouching like a lion to devour us. Jesus gives his own life to provide that sanctuary. Whether lost or in danger, the good shepherd risks everything to rescue his flock, even death. And finally this. The good shepherd knows who all of these blessings are for. Although the imagery Jesus uses uh, about the shepherding and flock and gate that we've read about in chapter 10, although this imagery points to the people of Israel and the people with whom Jesus is talking are in fact Jewish, Jesus has a far bigger flock in mind as he contemplates his own sacrifice. You see, Jesus' flock is much bigger than any of us can comprehend. Jesus' flock is bigger than any of us can comprehend. And just like the good shepherd, Jesus sees every one of his sheep. And of course, this brings us back to the work of the church. Reformed and ever reforming. We know that nothing keeps the good shepherd from his whole flock. The whole goal of the inspired Old Testament, the whole revelation of Jesus Christ's own ministry is, of course, the whole world. Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, male and female, righteous and sinful, clean and unclean, all races, all identities, all people. 
the uh, band come on up. The God who created all people, who loves all people equally, gives the offer of salvation to all people, all flocks of the earth, that all may believe and then unite together in the one great flock of Jesus. This is the unity we were talking about. On the island of Patmos, the same gospel writer, John, had this vision. And I'll close with this. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. Jesus' flock is bigger than any of us can comprehend. Jesus is the Good Shepherd. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, guys. Let it be known that I have drunk from the deep, deep well that is Carter Hudson. (laughs) Thank you, my friend. You saved me. appreciate that. Well, friends, know today that we follow a good shepherd, a good shepherd that knows you and loves you and wants to lead you. Uh, May we always seek, seek the good shepherd. And may you leave this place today knowing that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that binds us all together is yours now and forevermore. Go in peace today, friends. Amen.